what future U.S. president was literally radioactive at one point in his life? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And name the five top languages spoken in the USA. Answers to those and other questions coming up in this half hour of The Off-Ramp with... With... Bob? And Marsha? <laughs> Smith! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity. Well, Marcia, we often hear a presidential candidate is radioactive because they've said something controversial, but what U.S. president was literally radioactive at one time in his life? <laughs> well... Now, here's the clue, okay? Clue's good. This future U.S. president helped clean up the first nuclear reactor disaster so in the it, world. Really? Yeah. Well, can't be too far back. Exactly. 1952 is the year. Okay, so he was a so, young man at the time. So, young man. Wasn't Ike? Wasn't, no, wasn't uh, Eisenhower? Who came after him? Uh, Nixon? Wasn't Nixon? Yeah, I can't see him doing that. Wasn't Kennedy? No, he did other things in the Navy. This gentleman was in the Navy as well. Carter. That's right. Okay. It was Jimmy Carter. At the time, he was a nuclear power expert with the U.S. Navy. Oh, he was an engineer. Yeah. And he was one of the few people in the world who was authorized to go into a damaged nuclear reactor. He was a lieutenant, and he worked with Admiral Hyman Rickover. He was selected to join an elite team to help develop the Navy's first nuclear submarines. And when a Canadian nuclear reactor started melting down, oh, geez. they asked for a team to come from the U.S. to help with the cleanup because they, they were able to stop everything, but they had to go back in there and dismantle the reactor. And there was only a small group of people in the world that knew how to do this at or the time. Or wanted to. Well, or wanted to, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm busy that day. <laughs> so they actually built a mock-up of the nuclear reactor actor at a nearby tennis court and they would run in and run out of that thing and they only had 90 seconds at a time they could be in there really 90 seconds and they would run in there and loosen a bolt and the next guy would go in and loosen it then eventually they'd get that bolt out and wow. go to the next one and the next one Jeez. and that's how they practiced so when they were lowered down into the reactor they knew exactly what to do Jeez. and like i said 90 seconds was all the longer they could do it at a time they got more radiation in their body than most people ever get in a year's time doing that. So how was he radioactive for how long? His urine was radioactive for six months afterwards. <laughs> they all had to have their urine monitored to see how their count was going down. Uh -huh. And it took six months for the radioactivity to leave. To leave? He said they all joked about either getting sterile or dying early, and, well, neither one happened. Yeah, he had he a had family. Amy. Didn't yeah. he have Amy? And three sons, four kids all together. That's yeah. right. And amazingly, he lived almost to 100 years of age. So as a result of the cleanup mission, that future president's urine was radioactive for six months. Thank you for sharing. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, Bob. There are 10 common languages spoken in the United States. Okay. All right. All right. But... Let's go with just the top five. Can you name any of the top five? I know one. English. That's right. And <laughs> okay. the second one should be easy. Spanish. That's right. Now, what comes after those? Okay. So I would go next to French or something like that. No, that, that's number six. Number six. Okay. So English, so Spanish. So English and Spanish. And, are the uh, top two. Okay, German. 
No, that's 10. Wow, I'm trying to think of, you know, <laughs> another language that would make it in here that, okay, let's go to Chinese or Japanese or there some Asian language. Chinese, number three. Chinese is number three now in the U.S. Uh-huh. So number four. Uh-huh. Uh, man, you said... You said that, uh, what was that one I said? That was six. Yeah. And German was 10. Oh, my God. All right, All right. so let's start up. What are they again? They're English, Spanish, Chinese. And then what are the other two of Filip- the top five? Filipino and Vietnamese. Okay, I could see those All right. based on World War II yeah. and the Vietnam yeah. War and the, and the refugees that came here. And so again, the top five are English, English, Spanish, Chinese, Filipino, and Vietnamese. Wow. And that's followed by French, Arabic, Korean, Russian, and German. I would have thought German would have been higher on there. Yeah, with so many people with German backgrounds. Yeah, especially around here, I guess. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not what I thought it would be. The first two make sense, perfect sense. (laughs) But the rest, I would have thought I'd been more European. And Yeah. hmm, Okay. All right, Marcia, what modern game may go back to Roman soldiers? Oh, I think there's a lot of those. I'll bet it's something like uh, Chinese checkers. No, to uh, Roman soldiers? Why would Chinese checkers go back to Roman soldiers, <laughs> well, they Marsh? Played, they lost their marbles, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you think it is? I don't know, poker. Now, it goes back to a game called Paganica, a game played with a bent stick and a hard ball stuffed with feathers. They think that might have been the predecessor to golf. <laughs> Yeah, it was invented by Roman soldiers as a way to relieve the monotony of camp life, and it's believed that a version of Paganica, I believe that's how they pronounced it, Uh although nobody from back then is around to tell me I'm wrong, it's spelled P-A-G-A-N-I-C-A. It's believed that a version of Paganica was introduced to Scotland when the Roman emperor Septimius Severus invaded the country in 208 AD. And of course, Scotland, we know, is where, you know, golf, the modern day golf began. Golf may also have been influenced by stick and ball games from China, Chiwan, Hitball, and the Dutch game Kolf, C-O-L-F. Although that was an indoor game with rubber balls and heavy clubs. Okay. (laughs) Cough. Like cough inside. (laughs) Okay. And then the modern game, as we know, it originated on the links, those long, grassy sand dunes of Scotland's coastline in the 1400s. All right. Bob, what animals are considered the gardeners of the rainforest? The gardeners (laughs) of the rainforest? What animals are considered the gardeners of the rainforest? Okay, I'm going to think of something with with paws or hands. I'm going to go with uh, monkeys, some kind of monkeys or apes. Yeah, yeah. this wouldn't come to mind, I'm sure. Elephants. Elephants? I didn't even know they were in the rainforest. Wow. They eat up to 300 pounds of food and drink up to 40 gallons of water every day, Bob, and almost half of that grass leaves fruits and roots leave their bodies undigested. Wow. This allows seeds to germinate and new plants to take root wherever those big guys make their deposit. <laughs> <laughs> the deposit. I like the way you bring It's the deposit. That's my, my version of what it says. Because of this, elephants are considered the gardeners of the rainforest. And just a few quick elephant factoids. There's sure, a, There's sure. a big documentary coming up on elephants uh, soon. On what, National Geographic? uh, Yeah. Okay. Correct. So here's some fascinating factoids. They have the largest brain of any mammal. Mm. They communicate through vibrations and body language. Vibrations? I didn't know that. Me either. Okay. They mourn the dead and often try to bury the corpse and often visit the gravesite. And they have 40,000 muscles in their trunk. 
Wow, <laughs> 40,000 muscles. Yeah, that's all from USA Today Earth Day section. That is a lot of muscles. Isn't that something? That's They do a lot with that trunk. So this is your, quote, garden variety oh, elephant yeah, then. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Next question, please. <laughs> okay, you're talking about deposits there. Where yeah. did uh, God's big deposits of fresh water in the world are in the Great Lakes? Yeah. All right, now you know what the biggest Great Lake is? Uh, Superior. That's right. So what is the second largest Great Lake? I have choices for you. Lake Ontario, uh-huh. Lake Huron, uh-huh. Lake Michigan. Uh-huh. Which of those is the second largest Great Lake? I'll say, I'll say, I don't think it's Michigan. I think that's three. I'll say Huron. Lake Huron, it's right. Yes. (laughs) It's the second largest lake of the Great Lakes behind Lake Superior. It's 206 miles long, 183 miles wide at its widest point, and a surface area of just over 23,000 square miles. It also has an average depth of 195 feet, but it plunges to a maximum depth of 750 feet. Which lake? Lake Huron. Okay, gotcha. All right, Bob. So here's a couple of quickies. What state has the highest number of military veterans living in it? Okay, the state with the highest number of military veterans. I'm going to go with a southern state uh-huh. because a lot of people in the military, they're stationed there, and then they, they end up there a lot. Uh-huh. I will say either Texas or Florida. Oh, very good. You're absolutely wrong. Oh, no. Total different direction. Oh, really? Alaska. Really? Who would have thought? There's and more veterans in Alaska than anywhere by, else? By far. Oh, I had no idea. Neither did I. 11% of veterans live in Alaska. Wow. And that's followed by Virginia, Montana, and Wyoming. Which wow, are... boy, was I right on my uh, <laughs> Florida and yeah. Texas. <laughs> yeah. And those are followed, like I said, Virginia, Montana, and Wyoming, and they're all in the 9% range. So Alaska's way ahead of all those. What area has the lowest number of veterans? <laughs> uh, see, I would say Alaska because that's cold, <laughs> but I'm wrong. You were wrong. So I will say, uh, wow, Alaska. I'll say Maine. The lowest numbers? Yeah. <laughs> Washington, D.C. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that the one either. The lowest numbers of veterans. Yeah. So, so you'd think there'd be a lot of people who had been in the military and then, you know, maybe worked in Congress or yeah. worked for those lobbying groups that would stay there. It was like 2% or something like that. Wow. But uh, yeah, so 11% in Alaska. Wow, would you get out of the Army or, you know, after the war and say, gee, I think I'll go live in Alaska? You know what? Probably because you just want to get away from it all. Could be. Could That's be. probably it. Okay, Bob. Okay, I have an interesting um, little question for you here. In 1956, uh, the writers for a film, High Society... Oh, I like that one. ...gave back their Oscars. Why? Really? Was it a political thing? <laughs> it's interesting. Was it? Was it a... 56? I didn't, you know, wasn't 1956. watching 56. Remember we had the big thing a couple of years ago when the wrong winner was named yeah. for the Academy yeah. Award oh, they, Best Picture? they had that then? Same thing here. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, the writers for the Bowery Boys... Oh! Comedy were nominated for the Best Writers Oscar in 1956. Apparently, it was a mistake. At least the writers felt so. The Bowery Boys had released a movie entitled High Society. Oh. And the writers withdrew their names from the nomination when they felt they were probably mistaken for the Grace Kelly Bing Crosby movie oh. High Society. Oh, that's funny. At the same time. Oh, that's very good. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. So not too many people will withdraw their uh, winnings, you know, but these guys said, nah, I don't think they're thinking of us. <laughs> 
for the Bowery Boys. Isn't that funny? Well, you know, there are three major automakers in the U.S. today. You got GM, Ford, and Chrysler. Uh-huh. And a handful of smaller ones like Tesla and DeLorean. DeLorean is still yeah, around. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I had to look that up to double check, but wow. indeed it is. It doesn't turn out a lot of them. But how many automakers were here in the United States in 1925, Oh, Bob? there were a lot, I think, because that was still before all the big consolidations took place. So I, w- I bet there's probably close to 100 yeah. different automakers in the United States. No. How many? 56. 56, but still a lot more than three or four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, Marsha, I have some more facts on golf. Uh-huh. Uh, why did Scottish kings prohibit the game ah. up until 1502? We may have mentioned this once earlier. Why did Scottish kings prohibit the game of golf? I don't recall that at all. Well, it had started in their country, and it got so impressive and so fun that nobody went to work anymore? People didn't go to archery practice, and that was basically <laughs> national security problem there. Really? Yes. Yes, that's right. That's archery? Yes. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Yes. yes. Now, on those links, those sandy links, see, back in that time, that was open land for anybody to go to. So people started playing this game on this sandy links, you know, uh-huh. up there, and everybody was doing it. Everybody was doing it. And Finally, the the Scottish kings decided this is dangerous. Too many men are being distracted from archery practice. (laughs) So they they banned it. And then two years after they lifted the ban, King James IV of Scotland played the first recorded golf match while staying at Falkland Palace near St. Andrews. Now, like I said, originally that link land was public land. Anybody could conceivably play. Yeah. Well, starting in 1754, access to the land began to be controlled by the Royal and Ancient Golf Club of St. Andrews. So that was the beginning of uh, basically golf only being played by the elite for a long, long time. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, they kept it as the Game of Kings, it was known for a long time. And nobody could play on the links unless they were royalty or, you know, noblemen. Ah. All right, and one more question. What president may have played more rounds of golf than any other? Ah, Eisenhower. I would have thought that too. But no? Okay. No. Uh, let me Somebody take a... before Eisenhower. Okay. Was it Truman? No. This was around mm, 1910, 1918. I don't nine... know. Okay. Woodrow Wilson, he played nearly 1,200. That's 1,200 rounds of golf while president. He loved the game so much, he had golf balls painted black so he could play it in the snow. Really? Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay, Bob, today's Social Security checks mailed out every month average is almost $1,700. $1,700 a month? Yes. Okay. But Mary Fuller, age 65, was the first person to receive a Social Security check. Oh, back, really? Yes, back in 1940. How much was her first check for? Let's see. If it's $1,700 <laughs> now, yeah. I'm going to take a tenth of that, okay? All right. I'm going to say $170. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good guess. $22.54. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Now, uh, that's what we're talking about. There's the value of money changing. Yeah. The value of money has changed and, that much. And she got that at 65, and Ida May went on to live to be 100. Wow. And so when she died, she had received a total of $20,000 in Social Security benefits. Oh, and that's about the uh, average for most people in a year now. In a year 21, now. 21,000 yeah, or 22,000. That was I'll her be whole darned. life. But her whole life. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, as we said, the value of money, money changes in, in value over time. So, you know, it probably reflects, well, here's what we think is the average. Yeah. Here's should your be, $22 you know. track. Here's button. your $22. <laughs> Don't spend it all in one place. 1940. Can you Jeez. imagine that? And that was still in the Great Depression, tail end of the Great Depression. Oh. Okay. Time for a break. That sounds good. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and their CPL radio, internet radio station. And then we put it on podcast platforms and it goes all over the world. Well, speaking of the world, Marcia. Indeed. What is the biggest city in the world by population these days? Okay. How many people live there? I'll say Hong Kong? No, not Hong Kong. Is it? It's Asian, isn't it? It's Asian. It's Asian. It's uh, Beijing. No, not China. Not China. Not China, not India. Tell me. It's the uh, land of the rising sun for people in China. They see the sun rising over this island. Ah. What would that be? That would be? Japan. Oh, of course. Yeah, Japan. Okay. (laughs) But I thought I was trying to think of a city. Well, what's the biggest city in Japan? Tokyo. Yes, Tokyo. (laughs) And how many people live in Tokyo these days? Well, more than a few million. How many? I'll say 12 million. 12 million? That sounds like a good-sized city, but no. 15. Nope. Less? No more. 18? No, more than that. 20? More than that. Oh, my God. Yeah, 37 million people live in the Tokyo metropolitan area in Japan, the uh, main island of Honshu. It accounts for a quarter of Japan's total population, that one city. Another large population is located in the city of Osaka, which is number 10 in the world ranking. That has a population of 20 million people. Really? Osaka, yeah. Oh my God. So in just two Japanese cities, you got almost 57 million people. That's just amazing. It's hard to fathom. Yeah. All right. Bob, why is a barber pole red, white, and blue? That has to do with the ancient history (laughs) of barbers being surgeons. And so the pole was out there to show blood. This is where blood is taken from you or whatever. Bloodletting. Bloodletting, yeah. Yes, they Ew. were they were bloodletters. And you know what they did? Prior to the barber pole, barbers would place little bowls of blood in their window. Oh, my God. <laughs> to advertise their bloodletting capabilities. Wow. Yeah, but it was finally prohibited by 1307. Anyway, hence the barber's pole was born. So the white in the red barber pole is bandages. Oh, okay. All right. And then they, in America, you'll notice that barber poles also have the color blue in addition to the red and white. It might represent either the veins in your arms and body or patriotic, red, white, and blue. And uh, priests and men of medicine and uh, barbers are the earliest recorded examples of barbers and were highly revered. Priests were barbers too? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The first barbering services were performed by Egyptians in 5000 BC. Now, were they barbers then or were they bloodletters then? No, no. They had instruments to cut your hair made of oyster shells or sharpened flint. Hmm. Okay. And they were highly respected Egyptians. Well, I would imagine because if they were shaving people, that had to be a very big skill if if you're using flints or shells, right? Yeah. All right. Okay. So the barbershop pole, blood... (laughs) 
bandages and, and veins. Yeah. That's what the red, white, and blue stands for. <laughs> Good Lord. And when we say blood letting, we're meaning bleeding people out because yeah. that was the way to get rid of disease, they yeah. thought, years yeah. ago. Yeah, they didn't know how to cure you, so just let's get that nasty blood out. And uh, That's one of the reasons George Washington supposedly died because he bled oh. out too much blood when he was it's, sick. Oh, jeez. Don't overdo it. I might lose the father uh, of your country. Oh, my God. Okay, Marcia, what state's residents are sometimes called Downeasters. You've heard of Northeasters, like Northeast? Yeah, yeah. Downeasters. That would be people around, I don't know, Myrtle Beach. That would make <laughs> sense to me. I would think it'd be in the South. Downeaster, right? Yeah. But Downeaster is a nickname for someone who's living in Maine. What? Yeah. There's even an Amtrak route of the same name that begins in Brunswick and ends up in Boston, and both are named for the Pine Tree State's Down East region. Sailors are believed to have coined that term sometime in the late 18th century when shipping goods to and from New England. When they were heading east, they would also have pushed downwind by strong gusts at their back, so downwind, downeaster. Okay. Bob, what is the thickest ice recorded so far? It seems to me somebody told me at one point that ice was a mile or two miles thick, maybe at the North Pole or the South Pole. Is that true? Well, how many feet in a mile? 5,280 feet. Oh, that's my guy. Yes, it's more than that, more than a mile or two. It's in Antarctica, 16,066 feet. Three miles. Yeah. So I was close. Yes, sure, honey. Some of the ice sheet... (laughs) (laughs) Some of the ice sheet that's melting right now is 34 million years old. Can you believe that? Wow. Antarctica is 90% of the world's ice. Did you know that? No, I did not. Ninety And holds 70% of the world's fresh water. So you could have ice water down there. And that contradicts something you were saying before about fresh water, you know, one of the big lakes. No, this is where the most fresh water is in the the ice. ice. In Antarctica. Wow, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. You would have thought that would have been salty ice, too, you know? Yeah, okay. How thick do you think ice has to be? This is something we talk about here in Wisconsin. How thick does it have to be to walk on? How thick does it need to be to walk on? Yeah. For me, I would like it to be a foot thick, but... I know. (laughs) Maybe it's not that thick. No, dear. Six inch. Four. Four inches. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know this. Clear blue or black ice is the strongest. So if you're going out there and it seems thick and it's clear blue or black. You're okay. Go take a walk. It's either that or it's very deep water. (laughs) (laughs) See, it depends on if you have your glasses on. I thought it was ice because it was black. Almost everybody in this state knows somebody that went through the ice. Right. Yeah. In a car or a truck or something. Yeah. Okay, Marcia, I'm going to go back to Jimmy Carter. Jimmy? Jimmy Carter. Did you know he was one of the first presidents ever to deliver a full address in a foreign language? Really? Spanish, yeah. I didn't know that. He delivered a speech all in Spanish after the passage of the Panama Canal Treaties. Oh, that's impressive. He also made in Spanish a live, uncensored television speech in Havana in 2002 to the Cuban people. I'd never realized he did that. Huh. And he criticized aspects of Cuba's socialist system while he was speaking in Havana (laughs) in Spanish. Wow, that That took some kahunas. Tick off (laughs) Mr. Fidel Castro. Oh, okay. Wow, I'll bet. All right. I'd never thought about this, Bob. Did any people survive the Ice Age? Hmm. 
Yeah, I'd say yes. I'd say yes because the Ice Age didn't necessarily cover the entire continents. There were people that were left unscathed, I would assume. Yeah. During the Ice Age, some populations remained in Africa and they had the best chance of surviving because it wasn't below freezing there, although it wasn't a piece of cake either. (laughs) And DNA tells us that the population of the world then plummeted from 10,000 to around 600. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. We were a highly endangered species and almost went extinct during the Ice Age. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. Fossils are fascinating, aren't they? Yeah. You know, you and I were talking uh, the other night, and I was looking at pictures that we took at the tar pits in Los Angeles. They still find dinosaur mastodon bones and everything. And uh, you and I were finding it interesting that they found horses there and they found fossils of camels there. Well, that just blows my mind. Camels and horses, ancient horses. Well, that I can believe, but camels walking around Los Angeles is just hard for me to fathom. These are thousands (laughs) to millions of years ago. Yeah. But four different species of ancient horses have been found in parts of California. Wow. Amazing. I got a quickie here back to the Ice Age. What do you think was the average global temperature during the Ice Age? Now, is this in Fahrenheit? Yes. Okay. The average temperature in Fahrenheit yeah. during the Ice Age. Yeah. This is according to a study at the University of Michigan. Okay. I'm going to say 10 below zero was the average temperature. <laughs> I know. I would have said the same thing. 46 degrees. What? Yeah. Fahrenheit. That's the average meaning slot was lower and some was higher. So it was, see, I always think of it being frozen. Well, it was in, you know, a lot of parts of the world. Okay. Some were 50, but most were probably below 30 degrees Fahrenheit. But the average temperature you said was 47. 46, yeah. 57 is the average global temperature today. You're kidding. No. The ice age is only 10 degrees cooler than today? Yeah, yeah, I know. Would University of Michigan lie? They did a whole ice age study. Big parts of the world were frozen. Okay. All right. Okay, we were talking about golf. What president popularized golf, making it seem more accessible? You named him early on. When I said, who played the most rounds of golf, you said... said Eisenhower. Okay, that's the guy. And nobody thought of him as elitist. No, that's because he was the four-star general. He was a GI for Mm -hmm. all the GIs who served in World War II. So he was wildly popular, and he loved golf, so much so he installed a putting green outside the Oval Office in 1954. And at first, the media criticized him for playing a rich man's game. Mm. But that changed after Arnold Palmer became his regular golfing partner. Oh, wow. He played a lot of golf with him. So the pictures of the sports hero playing together with the GI's general, that made golf popular popular and attractive to millions, millions of men for sure. Yeah. Because there's, hey, there's Ike. He's out on the (laughs) golf course. I think I'll try that game too. With Arnie. Arnie and Ike. All right. I'm going to finish up with quotes on getting older. Okay. Oliver Wendell Holmes. Old age is always 15 years older than I am. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way I look at it too. Teddy Roosevelt. Okay. Old age is like everything else. To make a success of it, you've got to start young. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. And the last quote is from some guy I'm looking at, his picture on the wall here, George Burns. Oh, yeah, George Burns. (laughs) He said, you can't help getting older, but you don't have to get old. (laughs) No, you don't. And he never did. No, he didn't. Never did. He always seemed young. Yes. All right. Those are good quotes and good thoughts as we all take more steps toward the grave. Oh, shut up. 
Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> no, stop it. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going. Okay, as we all back away from the grave. <laughs> well, that's it for today. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with another half hour of fun, facts, and trivia here on The, the Off Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.